Are you as tired as I am of your audience predicting everything about your movie's plot? It's extremely frustrating. But who can blame them? Media-savvy viewers today have seen so many works of fiction that they know all the tropes. They can see them coming a mile away. You can remix them all you want, but it's been done before. And don't even get me started on television. Trust me, nerds on Reddit are going to predict your series finale by the end of episode 3. So, in this circumstance, what is an aspiring writer to do? Well, today's sponsor has you covered. Let me introduce you to the decoy protagonist. Now, who is the decoy protagonist, you say? Oh, you know him. He's smart, he's handsome, he's white, and he's got you covered. You can trust him to see you through this plot with aplomb and crack wise at all the right moments. Plus, this leading man of yours is extremely famous and is sure to draw in a huge crowd opening night. Oh no, now he's dead. We haven't even reached the act one break and you kill him. You just, he's gone. Trust me, if he can die, your audience is going to think anyone can. Give it a try. They won't see it coming. But be sure to use a deft hand. Otherwise, they may get wise to the fact that your second protagonist is always safe and will definitely make it to the end. The decoy protagonist. Being overused by prestige television ever since Ned Stark, um, survived and lived happily ever after. The Decoy Protagonist. It's a little too quiet in here. It gives me the willies. I, for one, think Taylor Swift is overrated. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of Cinema Gush. I am... <laughs> well, I am stirring up controversy as we start the show. American sweetheart. <laughs> I uh, am regretting the decision to start a podcast with you at the moment. Oh, boy. Put on your card again. Get yourself warmed up. Shake it off. All right. Here we go. <laughs> well, we're, we got yet another episode here, folks, where we got... A returning guest, we had Dr. Tullius a couple of weeks ago, and now we got a one, Mr. Kyle Murphy. So thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you. Happy to thank be you. here. Happy to, happy to be back. Yes, indeed. And we are so happy to be talking about the movie that you chose, which I'm going to start right off the bat with spoilers abound all throughout for, what's the movie, Brendan? What, what movie? Well, yeah, baby. <laughs> Um, I'm going to stall for a minute because I genuinely had my brain fart and I forgot the name of the oh movie. Because <laughs> it's a great wow. movie. Bad times. At the El Royale. Guys, today we're talking bad about bad times at the El Royale. Good. And I got to gotta give you a little, a little pushback there, Lishka, because you said spoilers abound. I want to talk for like a few minutes at the beginning without spoilers. Well, then I think let's that's have smart. That. We should yeah, actually make a, a habit idea. of doing that in general. Well, uh, that would be nice because I am not planning on watching the Hail or read, listening to the the Hail Caesar episode until uh, I actually see the movie. Um, Good call. But no, so I I specifically was going to ask you guys if we could talk like very briefly about it without yes. any spoilers. Because I wanted to talk about how I first saw this movie. Oh, please do. Yes, we Lay love that. So please gush so, away, good sir. I remember seeing the trailer for, I was in the theater and saw some sort of trailer. And like, oh, it's like, oh, that sounds cool. Completely forgot about it immediately, immediately thereafter. My wife, Amy, was riding on a plane and watched the movie, you know, so like a few months after it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, she got home and she's like, hey, we need to, you need to see this movie. It was fantastic. 
Yeah. So we rented it, I, I think from Redbox or something like that, and I watched it remembering, and all I knew before watching it was, I remember I like that trailer, and Jeff Bridges is in this. That's literally, literally Which all I Which is enough remember. of a selling point in general, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was and a great so, trailer, too. It was yeah. a great trailer. I, I actually just went back and rewatched the trailer, like, in preparation for this, and yeah, fantastic Ooh. trailer. But, so, uh, I, in, I think I enjoyed it all the more because of that, and... So, yeah, I just wanted to briefly talk about why I like the movie before getting into the spoilers, because there's a ton of spoilers. Because we do have to talk spoilers, because there's a lot of meat there. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so, I mean, without spoilers, the few things I want to say to try and encourage people to see this movie, because it's well worth watching. Um, Honestly, in my mind, one of the best movies that's been made in the past five years. Um. I so it's an ensemble cast cast. Um there's a whole like noir kind of feeling to it. The cinematography's beautiful, the writing is wonderful, and like the plot synopsis that I give people when I'm trying to convince them to see it, because I've talked to my friends, been like, hey, you need to watch this movie, is a bunch of strangers show up at a hotel and then shit goes down. Yeah. <laughs> or stuff goes down if you need to edit this for your. <laughs> I, I think I think you should add too. They show up at a hotel that straddles the line between Nevada and California because I feel like that gives all the movie its aesthetic, and that aesthetic is just so great. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's a good point. So, um, but yeah, and Jeff Bridges is in it, which obviously he's a fantastic actor. John Hamm is in it. Um, I. Did not know her before seeing this movie, but uh, Cynthia Erivo is fantastic in the movie. Mm-hmm. What else um, is she in? Dude. She played the lead in Harriet, which I heard was terrible. I did hear. See, I oh, heard no. good things. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. She um, she knocks it out of the park in this movie. I mean, yes. She really does. Really I mean, she, does. She's, she's a Broadway actress, and she is a singer in the movie, and she has a chance to sing, and she's fantastic. And every time you get excited because her voice is amazing. Truly. I've heard better. we'll get to that part later um so yeah any any did you guys have anything else to say before we kind of like get into more of the details well i think the only thing i wanted to hit at real quick was just that um while the el royale is not a real hotel it is based off of loosely based off of one called the cal neva which you actually can stay at there is a nevada side and a california California side side. the border runs through Um, it yep so that's pretty dang cool i wonder how Um, building permits go and something like that that's got to be a pain Right, it's got to be a huge pain. Um, well, and I, it is, is very funny in the movie, though, too, where they're like, oh, if you need to drink, you need to go over to the Nevada side. <laughs> if you want to gamble, you got to go over, the, yeah. Or the That's other way right. around, whatever it is, I can't sure, remember. Sure, sure. Yeah, the only other thing I would notice, just this was uh, written directed by one of my favorite writers. I was going to bring this Drew up, Goddard, yeah. uh, he did Lost, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Cabin in the Woods, World War Z, The Martian, um, which, because The Martian did so well, he's going to do Project Hail Mary, which is uh, Andy Wire's too. next book. Yep. yep. Uh, Robocalypse, uh, Sinister Six, which is coming out soon. So uh, Drew is just a fantastic writer, and so I was wicked excited once I saw his name in the yeah. So, so that's it for me. My uh, my actual introduction was extremely similar to yours, Murph. Except what happened to me is I saw it at the theaters, the trailer, and Drew Goddard's name came up, and I was like, "All right, done. We're there." And then the trailer was incredible. And so I, too, went and saw the movie knowing two facts about it. I saw the trailer, and I knew Drew Goddard wrote it and directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would strongly encourage listeners, if you haven't seen it, now is a great time to stop. 
you're in for a treat. Go watch it. Come back. Because knowing as little as you can about it will improve your enjoyment of the movie. It's a yes, fun indeed. movie to, to experience cold. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And now that the people who haven't seen it have left, we can talk about some of the stuff. Spoilers! <laughs> it's the girl from Fifty Shades. All right, go on. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, what I actually specifically wanted to talk about is the, the first time I saw this movie, I had completely forgotten that Chris Hemsworth was even in it. That's awesome. Yes. And like when he's first introduced, like the sun is behind him in California, so his face is in shadow, which is clearly intentional. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's all sorts of like interesting cinematography with lighting and things going on there. But like, you could I couldn't tell it was him. So I knew Billy Lee was in it, and I could gather Billy Lee was kind of a bad dude. And then he shows up walking barefoot in the rain down the line, and mm-hmm. holy shit, is he evil. He's he is so really evil. evil. And, like, <laughs> before that happens, obviously we're going to talk about some of these other stuff, but, like, you have all these characters who are fairly morally ambiguous, except maybe Darlene, who's, like, the one character who's kind of just, like, a good person thrown into this. The other character's a little bit morally ambiguous, and, like, uh, you know, you, I guess you could say that Broadbeck, the FBI, FBI agent, like, he's a, he's a good dude. He's trying to save somebody. But, like, on mm-hmm. the whole, it's, like, there's, like, this kind of shadowy cloud hanging over everything. And then that, uh, that shadowy cloud is personified by Billy Lee, who is, mm-hmm. I, I think so, some reviewers said, like, the performance of Chris Hemsworth's career and, like, I haven't seen him much outside of Thor, but, oh, my gosh, is yeah. he's so good in this. Yeah, man. He's a he's I, that kind and of I character love... that just, like, everything, once he, like, there's all these other awesome plots that we'll talk about and things that everybody's kind of driving towards, but once he shows up, everything drives mm-hmm. in his direction. And, and I love you, you mentioned this, that he starts by walking along the border, and this border often, like, exemplifies this, this moral line. And he yeah. doesn't give two rats asses about the moral line. It's just, I'm walking right on it. It's my call. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just, I, uh, yeah. I, I, prior to that point, I want to talk about the kind of like vignettes. Because before that, mm. it's, it's basically a vignette style of movie. That then once he arrives, everybody's brought back into the, into the lobby. And like everything proceeds from there. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's very much a dividing line in the movie, though. It's not. It's, I think it's past the halfway mark that he shows up. I'm pretty darn sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he is driving the rest of the movie from there on out because he is this charismatic cult leader who is driving people's lives. Like, yeah. So it. it I don't know. It, the the movie the plot kind of very much revolves around the character of Billy Lee and people's reactions to him. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do really, I, I think it's really cool the way that, that that was written. And then obviously they had to get an actor who could pull it off and they did. So, mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And I, Drew had worked with him before on Cabin in the Woods. I'm just like, I love it when uh, writers and directors kind of always have the actors that they pull from. Like Tarantino very obviously has like four or five guys that are in like everything he does. And um, it seems like Hemsworth hopefully will continue to be in Goddard stuff just all the time. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but so Cabin in the Woods came out after Thor, but it was filmed before Thor, if I recall correctly. So nobody knew who he was when he was casting. I mean, he was just in that opening at Star Trek, as far as I recall. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong. I think, because I remember Thor was 2010? Right. So, 
It, Cabin of the Woods is supposed to come out February 5th of 2010, but it was delayed for two years. And they shot it, I think, in most of 2009. So I think I do believe you're correct. I think he was cast just on that. The same reason he was cast in Thor is just that opening five minutes from this, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, where he does an amazing God. job. Yeah, he does. He's, He's so great. beautiful. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> so let's Sorry, I was thinking about Chris Hemsworth. Anyway. <laughs> um... But no, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about the kind of the, the structure because I mentioned that when he shows up, they literally bring like his men bring everyone back back to the lobby. But that opening scene in the lobby, I don't. I think it's very interesting how the film starts there with that opening scene. You know, there's a little bit before then, a little setup starts in the lobby, and it's this kind of very normal scene with this subtext of like there's something wrong. Probably mostly because Miles is like, you know, Father Flynn, you shouldn't be here. This is no place for a priest. And you're like, hmm, what's going mm-hmm. on? Um, and then from that, it diverges into the various different storylines and then converges back in the lobby. And then basically the movie finishes out in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that that structure is very, very interesting. And I think in a lot in a lot of ways, I think the reason the movie didn't do well um, was because of the structure. Like, this is not... Like, who is the audience for this movie? Other than, obviously, me, and I know you guys like it, but, like, who was this made for? <laughs> I think a lot of it would be the Pulp Fiction crowd, right? Because I think Goddard has a lot of, like... I don't want to say shout-outs, but he has a lot of callbacks to things Tarantino has done before, um, especially with, like, Pulp Fiction, which, correct me if I'm wrong, that made, like, well over $360 million at the box office, and that was in the 90s. So I think... There's a certain adult crowd that the movie should have attracted and then kind of didn't, which was strange because, I mean, it was extremely good, but that always seems to happen, doesn't it? I, I think they had to be, like like with us, they had to be uh, very coy with the marketing of what the movie's about, and as a result, there was not a draw. I mean, even, I don't know, it, it's just, it's it's... I feel like people need to be spoon-fed to a certain degree, and the trailer, while it's perfect for you and me, I think your general audience was like, didn't know what they were getting into, but that's good. It's, it's that's, good to not know what you're getting that's into. That's true, and not to be an elitist, but I do hate most trailers. So <laughs> Most trailers suck. <laughs> he said very elitist-like. Indeed. The, the, the best trailers though. are the ones that most agree. people hate, so... <laughs> Well, that's, I think we got burned, too. I mean, I've seen many trailers. Like, So, for an example, and this is a weird way to go off, but like the trailer for Clash of the Titans, I think, is one of the greatest cut trailers of all time. The movie is less than good. <laughs> so I think I've been burned so often by really insanely awesome trailers that I, t- I do tend to avoid them. Um, we talked about this last week with uh, Jay, just the amount of times growing up where I just, as soon as I'd log into the computer, there wasn't really a MySpace or a Live Journal or a Facebook. It was apple.com slash trailers. I went there every day, all the time. I just wanted to see what was new. So I used to be a trailer junkie, but just not so much anymore. Well, it's it's hard. I You mentioned Clash of the Titans. To me, Terminator Salvation is another example of a trailer that is gorgeous. You watch the movie, and it's just like, no, yes. happens. And, and so you walk that line where you want to give people what's going to happen in the movie so they want to come see it, but give too much away and the audience feels like they've been cheated out of the experience, except maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's just you and me. Maybe that's maybe it's movie jerks, that snobs that feel that way. And this trailer didn't give you much to go on. 
which right. was why I loved it. So that we're getting off track here, but I, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but um, no, anyway. So like, so let's see. Wanted to talk about. So we t- I talked about the structure of the movie. Um, so talking about kind of the vignettes as well, because I, I do the initial lobby scene is great, but it really just sets up kind of who these characters are. Kind I, of. It. Kind I think of. it. It well, almost who, lies to you about one of them. Well, about two of them, really. I mean. That's Father, true. That's Father true. Flynn and and um, I mean, for that matter, it kind of lies about who Miles is too. So, like, Darlene, sure. really the only well, one who is pretty much let, let me, saying she is. Let me put it this way: I think with Father Flynn, we get who, what his personality is from that introduction. We may not know; it's lying to us about who he is. Yeah. But with John Hamm's character, we don't know. I mean, it's lying not only about who he is, but we don't know his personality. Even. True. That is true. Um, although I do appreciate that his is kind of the first vignette that they do then. Sure. Um, especially because, like, you don't like him at all. You in the don't lobby like scene. him. Like, I mean, I, I kind of do in that he's, like, such a stereotype. I was like, He's entertaining. Oh, he, this is an entertaining guy. I knew, know who this guy is. I would not want to, you know, spend 15 seconds talking to him. Right. And, like, I mean, he's patronizing. He's a little bit racist. He's sexist. He's <laughs> he's a salesman. Like he, he's just like the stereotypical salesman. But the fact yep. that he's playing that character, that like the FBI agent is playing the character of the salesman and playing it so well to a T, actually then does make you really like the FBI agent because you're like, right. oh, like he's very good at making that choice of to be this smarmy asshole. Like yeah. it just melts <laughs> off of him as soon as he's out of sight. And, and John Hamm does such a great job of infusing that in the character that he's playing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course it's like, you know, Jagger Hoover tells him like, don't get involved. You have another job to do. And like, also the first, I should say before, before you even get to that, like when he's removing the wiretaps, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, the whole there's a lot more bugs here than I thought. <laughs> like, there's there's a problem. This is a here. great scene. What's going on with this thing? And then that scene where he walks down the hallway and sees, oh baby, which I guess <laughs> so, the, so. And that scene is one. I don't know if it's one take, but it's like a continual shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Before we important. get to that scene, I do have a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we ever find out what his goal is for being there? I've watched it twice and I haven't quite put my finger on There, There's kind of an interesting backstory with the hotel itself, right? So the hotel is kind of based on this real place that the Kennedys frequently visit a lot. And, and a lot of times for the movie with the cinematography, you'll see Marilyn Monroe just in different shots and framed in different pictures. And then you have like the Nixon... Um, speech on television. The implication that I got was that the tape was what he was there for. And the tape had like Kennedy with Monroe and it was like hard true evidence right. that would be leaked to the public. That's what I got out of it. So, so I, I, I assumed it was something about the tape. And I, I, I assumed it was Robert Kennedy, but... Yeah, I assumed it was JFK. Apparently, like, they intentionally leave it blank and they're like... Sure. It's either JFK... Mm-hmm. Robert Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. was another one I heard. Is like, I heard oh, that. Yeah. I, this is me reading the Wikipedia page, which is the extent of research I do for this. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I put into it. No, um, but no, when he finds the hallway, I don't think he knows that it exists. He seems shocked that it's there. He, yeah, so that's I a good point. don't think he's there for the tape. 
My impression is there are, so there's, the FBI has the room bugged for some reason that is ne- never explained to us. And just the right. honeymoon suite, because he's just there, he wants the honeymoon suite, you know, <laughs> that's what he's there to do is remove all those wiretaps for whatever reason. The hotel's owners, like management, as Miles says, are some mm-hmm. other group of people, maybe or maybe not affiliated with government, who are obtaining, you know, blackmail, basically, um, from all sorts of people. And the hotel being this prestigious place, or at least it used to be, was kind of, it was made a prestigious place because they built it so that they could do this. But yeah, John Hammy, like there's that whole scene of him like walking outside measuring how far his this how deep his room is. He doesn't know that Miles has been recording all these people. A, a wonderful example of show don't tell. His feet as he's mm-hmm. piecing that out. I thought it was just excellent. Because you as the audience can tell what he's doing without them ever explaining what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also absolutely. like too that the, it shows you some of the like that opening scene with Nick Offerman burying the loot and then getting shot you're looking at it from the corridor but you're not aware of the existence oh interesting yeah I never put that together yeah interesting I looked at that section with Nick Offerman as you know this whole movie if we really want to dive deep into themes like this whole movie is about parks and recreation you know you start with Ron Swanson <laughs> at the beginning you end with Jerry at the end this movie is book ended oh by, I didn't put that together either by parks and rec wow that's an interesting theory yeah, yeah. let's let's well, tease that out a little bit more I, I think we should talk about this for a while stuff, so I was like you know let's run with the funny one <laughs> oh it's just like lost all about purgatory um oh. But no, like, I, okay, you're but right. I didn't, wait, let me, yeah, let me ahead, say something there, because you just said yeah, all yeah. about pur- purgatory. So I was looking at some of the re- snippets from reviews on Wikipedia and people looking oh, for, like, oh, what are the themes of the meaning of the movie? What's the meaning behind it? And a couple people are like, oh, it's about purgatory. One of them is, is even like, oh, Father Flynn is God and he's offering these people a chance at redemption here. And, like, can I just tell critics... To please stop like digging through bullshit to try to find some deeper <laughs> meaning in a movie. Like, yes, there are great themes in this movie. Like, redemption is Th- certainly. There's a theme. theme of purgation, but that doesn't yeah. make it about purgatory. It's not purgatory. It's really not. Like, the you fact- don't think management is God, Murph? <laughs> is the, the, the devil? The devil's the guy on the telephone. No, <laughs> Billy Lee is Billy Lee. Billy Lee's the devil. The devil. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> But no, like, I mean, Miles very explicitly is asking for redemption in his, like, always seeking after confession. That's an explicit theme in the movie that's, like, yes, in there in other ways, too, and, like, alluded to. But, like, don't go looking for things to be purgatory. Can we all just stop that? Well, no, hold on a second. It wasn't purgatory. He wrote Lost, and I'm pretty sure now that you mentioned that Cabin in the Woods is pretty much just purgatory, too. Oh my gosh, it is! Well, hell, hell, is is the Daredevil, the Martian is about purgatory. The Martian is all about purgatory. Oh, you're so (laughs) right. Mm, mm, True Daughter just writes about purgatory. It's it's almost like anything that is not the real world, but isn't heaven or hell, has (laughs) to be something else, and therefore it's Quick, get Bishop Barron on the phone. Quick, he's got to review this one. Oh, my God. Oh, but anyway, um, <laughs> that was when we were talking, yeah, 
Um, I love that everybody had to like sign in as well. And, you know, I, I don't remember her name. Or Emily, Emily, that's right. Dakota Emily. Johnson's character, just who plays this, this girl who is just utterly confident in like every single move that she makes. And until, you know, she finally gets her sister in the room, you're like, oh, she's actually got this thing going on. I just love the way that the mysteries of this movie built upon the mystery and built and built and built. And that reveal of the glass and him like, walking down the hallway and seeing like what everybody's up to. Oh my gosh. It just, I got, mm. I got so sucked in. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that I think that scene does really do that too. It does suck you in, because mm-hmm. like you know, initially you got the lobby scene, and you're like, oh, something interesting is going on here. Then you find out he's an FBI agent. You're like, oh, that's really cool. This movie's going to be about this FBI agent doing something cool here. It's really not because <laughs> he gets no, shot pretty darn soon. Um, yeah. uh, but and then you see the ha- the hallway, and you're like. It, I, I think there's almost a more of a feeling of like horror or dread that comes upon you during mm. that hallway scene. Um, and so like that subversion of expectations that like, yeah, it's, it, you thought it was going to be going down the FBI route. And then you're like, Oh, there's something larger here. And then pretty darn soon the FBI agent gets shot. So have you both seen parasite? Yeah, I have not. And I don't want okay. you to spoil it for me. Then, then we won't what? go there. I will delete all of those notes. Moving on. <laughs> but now I want to talk about Parasite with you afterwards. But yes, go, yes, go see Parasite. Parasite's excellent. I'll, I will yeah. watch it. I've wanted to watch it for a while now. So it's this really deep movie about purgatory. Um, it's about deep. purgatory. <laughs> well, We're you, hit on you, that the whole episode. Korea. Oh, I mean, purgatory. you could make the argument a little bit. <laughs> I think more solidly on. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, so, uh, you, you mentioned the him getting shot thing. Do we want to, do we want to unpack that just a little bit? Yeah. So he's shot. He's shot. <laughs> he dies. Um. We're all very, very sad. <laughs> I mean, no, it, but no, it, it, it is, as we said before, like a subversion of expectations. Cause at that point, you kind of think he's the main character. Right. Especially right. because like. He has the first vignette, and right after that is, what, Father Flynn's, um, and so you think, oh, like, at that point in the movie, I I think the first time watching it, I might have been like, oh, is this going to be, like, a bunch of people, including Father Finn, like, doing horrible things, and the FBI agent is, like, the good guy who's trying to save someone or bring some sort of resolution, is he trying... Is it going to be the FBI agent saving the girl who's been kidnapped? Is that going to be what the movie is? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's absolutely not. <laughs> right. And, you, and I think we talked about with the trope in the beginning of, of the episode, just, you know, it's, 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 it's John Hamm who is Don Draper and he's coming off the heels of Mad Men. And you're like, oh, so this is his leap into movies now. And even people who don't follow, I think, movie news or Hollywood Reporter or anything like that, they see a recognizable face and they're like, oh, yeah, he's for sure going to be the main character here. Right, and then of course he's not. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and I mean, and really, of course, the movie is very much an ensemble cast thing. But up until that mm-hmm. point, it could have been him as the main character. Um, yeah, like yes, Jeff Bridges is like arguably even a bigger name than John Hamm, but like he's clearly older now and playing someone who is more likely to be kind of like some sort of trope of an old person, like you yeah. know, like some sort of wise old person or some sort of like evil old person, something like that. Like, you know, there's only, like, three different roles for old people in film. Um, So, yeah, the movie easily could have been, like, FBI agent doing heroic things while there's all these evil people around him. 
but it's not. So yeah, that shot, mm. and it is shocking because it happens very early on. And at that point, it kind of reveals the nature of the hotel to almost all the characters then. Because then Emily and Rose find out about the corridor because they shoot through the through the glass. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so at that point, it's still fairly early on. But things have been subverted, and now you don't know what's happening. You don't know what the overall plot is, which you don't really know until Billy Lee gets there. Um, but that is one of the, those things, actually, that, like, I like movies that it's hard to tell what the overall plot is. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Uh, I'm gonna call BS and look I, at the movies you gave me that you didn't like. And I was, I knew <laughs> you were, you know, someone was gonna bring that up. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah, we will. Well, that's you know one of the notes that I wrote down was just this is the type. This is the type of movie where I just love every character. Where um, where did I write? even the characters that you're supposed to hate are just. Screen chewing deliciousness. Yeah, every character is my favorite character except for Rose. Die, Rose, die. Like that was my only thought throughout. Oh, the I, I, I I even like Rose. Like I, I, I do, do too. She yeah. has many likable reasons. I, I I think I'm just better because of she takes Miles out. But um, well, that's that's it, fair. No, Miles is fantastic. Um, My, yeah. Miles is. Yeah. But let's talk. Let's talk about Emily and Rose now, since obviously Emily's the one who shoots. Um, Mm-hmm. The FBI agent, uh, whose name escapes me, Broadbeck or something like that. Um, yeah, no. So Emily and the actress Dakota Johnson, is that her name? Dakota Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen anything with her in it before since I hadn't seen that one movie she was in or those few movies she was, was she in. in she's in a couple. Yeah. What was that? Was the most successful books of all time? What are those called? Twilight? Twilight fan fiction? <laughs> kind of like Twilight. Twilight. It's yeah. a lot like Twilight. <laughs> So yeah, um, like I, if you told me that I was gonna like a movie with her, and I'm like, oh, the actress from Fifty Shades of Grey, like I'm not sure I'm interested. But like, mm-hmm. a good reminder that I, just because I think the general consensus is that her performance in Fifty Shades of Grey is her worst performance, and she's very good well, most everything else. Well, the reverse of this is also true because Rose, I only know her from Bridgerton, which my wife loves, and I cannot stand. And so I was like, oh, from Bridgerton, I don't know if I'm gonna like this or not. So, um, that was, no, but that yeah, was... it's a, a good reminder that just because an actor is in a movie that you can't stand mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the actor themselves is not a good. It's not a good. Not good actor, at what yeah. they're doing, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I think Emily certainly like you know over the. I don't think she has as much of a character arc as a lot of the other characters. Like, there's not as much. I don't know even how much character growth there is with many of the characters, but like, there's not much revealed about her that is surprising or that you don't know mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like, it's a very mm-hmm. sad story of an abused child who grows up to just be someone who's overly protective of her sister and goes to steal her back from this cult that she falls in with. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think Dakota Johnson did a great job. Emily is not necessarily one of the more compelling characters, but still a very good addition you know, mm-hmm. to the ensemble. I think Rose is actually fairly compelling, though, as someone who has been essentially brainwashed by Billy Lee mm-hmm. and is like a victim who is victimizing others. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think Rose is very compelling. Obviously, it's like, uh, you when she, <laughs> later on you're like, oh, why <laughs> she called Billy Lee? Like she's the whole reason that he even shows up there, and like <laughs> she's doing all these horrible things. But like, yeah, I I do think the sisters are like a good part of the film. I do think they're a little bit overshadowed by the rest of the cast. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but, considering everybody else in the story, like theirs is the most minor, yet their story is what really changes the whole course of the picture. Right, right. Um, but yeah, and, and so since we haven't, we didn't really talk about him yet all that much, briefly, Jeff Bridges, fantastic job. And always, yeah. I love that they have a very real and interesting character with Alzheimer's in this movie. And like Jeff Bridges does a great kind of heartbreaking job of portraying someone who's dealing with the fact that his memory is failing. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's not, he's not, you know, a good guy necessarily. Like he's, he's a criminal, but like he is a, a very well fleshed out character who happens to be losing his memory. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I find that very kind of beautiful that they're able to have this character who, it's not his defining trait, but it is something important that's happening to him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that speech that he gives, you know, about not his memory and not knowing who he is on some days, you know, as soon as Miles wakes him up from when he gets knocked out, he calls him father, he's like, I ain't your father, <laughs> you know, like immediately mm-hmm. forgetting like who he was in that yeah. moment. and. It's it's heartbreaking, but and and then he doesn't reckon he doesn't realize who he's supposed to be until he sees himself in the mirror with the collar on, and that was kind of like his trigger back into oh that's right that's this is who I'm supposed to be playing right now. Yeah, yeah. So no, really well done. Um, and I I think in a lot of ways the most likable character. Um, but part of that is mm. also just Jeff Bridges being charming as it because Jeff Bridges is Jeff Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, but then um, Darlene, Cynthia Erivo's character, in my mind, really the only like good person involved in the whole El Royale thing, in a lot of ways. I think I think you can make an argument that John Hamm is a good person when he's not playing a character. Yeah, but he is working for J. Edgar Hoover, and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're not given any indication that he's part of. It, that I don't know. The, the, I don't know. You, yeah. you, you like him as he's talking to his daughter. He's talking I feel to like... his daughter. He's praying the prayer with her. Also, side note: I realize we're going wait. We're jumping all around, kind of like the movie does. Ha ha! It was intentional Indeed. all along. Uh, <laughs> we really are in hell. Purgatory. Purgatory. That's right. But no, like when <laughs> when he's saying the prayer with his daughter, and he says that like if I should die before I wake. And the star's like, no, we don't mm-hmm. say that line anymore. He's like, oh, oh, we don't say that? <laughs> Mommy says it's too morbid. The second time watching it, when I knew he was going to die, and he mm-hmm. had just prayed that, mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, that's a little that's a little too on the nose. <laughs> oh, no. um, but anyway, regardless, Darlene, I think very, very good character, very much like the normal person who has been thrown into all of this chaos. Like, mm-hmm. she's just someone who's, like, a singer whose career is on the decline, and she's going for a gig to Reno, staying at a cheap hotel. Um, and that's, like, basically her entire story. But 
she is the character who is really given the confrontation with evil with Billy Lee. And she mm-hmm. has that like you know, dialogue at the end where she's like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about your stupid little games. I don't care about who's on the film. You're just a man who is who wants who wants to f- who he wants to f- I think is what she says. And like <laughs> I know who you are. You're just you're just a guy who wants to have power and use it. And like it's very much the response of the common ordinary person to the face of evil that is like coming from a perspective that's so common, but it's so heroic in the way that she is just calling him out on his bullshit. Because, I mean, that's how he's gotten to be this cult leader is because he's a charismatic guy who can spew whatever lies he wants. And women want want him. Men want to be him. Men also want him, I'm sure. Like, that's, in the end... Like, yes, we've been talking about how he's like the personification of evil in the movie, but in the end, he is very much just like a guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's just some guy who has been gifted with good looks, intelligence, and the ability to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And he is... And I love the word that she uses on him. She's tired. You know, he's, she's just tired. She's bored of men like yeah. him. Sorry, keep going. Keep yeah, going. but no, it's like, yeah. like, you know, contrast him with the producer earlier on in her little vignette who's like, you know, very much trying to manipulate her and, and being abusive toward mm-hmm. her to tr- trying to get yeah. like what he can out of her from a career standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. But Billy Lee is just kind of like that man's worst tendencies of wanting what he wants and just acting on his own impulses to the detriment of everyone else around him, that morality given to someone who has incredibly, who is incredibly charismatic and has, you know, like I said, good looks and the ability to talk like, you know, the gift of gab, they've called it or something like that. Like, he has all that, and he's used it to put himself in, to be at the head of the, of a murder cult, basically. Like the, somehow the, I mean, clearly Rose killed that couple. Like the, the cult is not just a cult who's doing some like hippie stuff communist. in the late sixties. Like this is a cult who is killing people, and so like yes, he's the personification of evil, but she lays bare that at his, at, at the at the bottom of it all, he's just a guy who wants to have sex. And that's mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, and that's brilliant. Like that. Yeah. So that, that whole, the reaction, the using the character of Darlene, that they built up to be this common person, all these horrible things are going around, around going on around her to have that confrontation with Billy Lee, where she's just, she's just tired of men like him. Brilliant. Absolutely the climax of the film. And then the action climax happens with Miles. Um, so Miles. Miles is my favorite. Oh Miles. Miles is my favorite too. Lishko, is he your favorite? Um, you know, honestly, 
Darlene is my absolute favorite. Um, Darlene is she great. has she has one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, which I said in unison with her the first time I saw it, which was when they're in the car and Jeff Bridges says, "I'm not really a priest." At the same time, we both said, "Yeah, no shit." <laughs> <laughs> So she she is my absolute favorite. That, that's I, I love that's every. A, that's yeah. a good choice. Um, <laughs> and, and so let me let me preface this. She's clearly the main character, if anyone is, and she is a yeah. great uh, vehicle for our empathy through this movie. And I don't want to take anything away from her. I just love Miles's arc. I I mm-hmm. love him as a character, and I just want to hug the kid. <laughs> Oh my gosh, ever since in the beginning when he's just like, welcome to the El Royale. You can't see me, I'm gesturing all the motions, people. But he's just, and, and on this side, the great state of California. And this, like that whole thing, that routine, the rigmarole, like this is a guy who just needs that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, Brandon, talk about him a little bit more because he's your, he's your favorite too. I, yeah. It's, I don't know. He's, he's an actor that I've barely seen anything, he, but he, you recognize him because mm-hmm. he's been in enough um, and, and he just exudes this, uh, this brokenness that seems so genuine, like a world that has worn him down and a person who so desperately wants to be a good person. And yet the world seems in a, uh, just unwilling to let him be. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like we can all relate to that and, and hopefully not to the degree, but it seems like. All of his bad vices are just this coping mechanism in a world that won't let him be the man he wants to be. And yeah. and I love watching him try over and over and over again and him just begging to have confession. And, you know, I mean, spoiler alert for our podcast, you're talking three Catholics here talking. It's <laughs> I mean it, it it just speaks to me and I, I love his character. I love everything he does. So. Yeah, I've, I've been miles way too many times in my life with trying to get to confession, like before I get on an airplane, which I'm deathly afraid of flying. Just like, <laughs> I've got to find a priest. <laughs> but yeah, um, no. And uh, so and you talked about a lot about his his brokenness and his like desire to be a good person. And yeah, throughout the film, obviously his is like the last vignette that we see because it happens mm-hmm. after the convergence of everyone coming to the lobby. Um, this is the only one after all that. Um and it's the whole movie you're kind of like, okay, they, they make it very clear and he does a very good job of portraying who this is. And so there's that underlying question, like, why is he like this? Why is he so fearful and so awkward and so ashamed? Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's very much like a broken character. And then mm-hmm. he has that line right when like he's lying on the floor with the guns nearby and he's like, I don't want to kill anybody, any more people. And Darlene says, how many people have you killed miles? Cause she's like, Incre- like how many people can this guy have killed? Like this, this, yeah. go- <laughs> this guy who runs a hotel, like this, like, this meek, really kind of small, skinny kid. Mousy We're little all kid. thinking zero. Yeah. Right. And he says 123. <laughs> And like the first time I saw it, I was just like horrified and in tears <laughs> that like, well, but you know, it's very much, in, I was like, how has this happened? You like, first thought, I, at least for me, was go to serial killer. <laughs> right, right. It's like, but, but, but it, yeah, at first I was like, oh, that, that, that doesn't come, that doesn't go with what we know of his character. 
right? Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem real. And then you find out, oh, Vietnam War. That makes a lot more Mm -hmm. sense. And it just so happens that he's very, very good at shooting people in the head. He's he's a crack shot. Right. And And he's killed. And and the fact that, of course, that he remembers exactly how many people he has shot and killed in the course of combat in Vietnam um, just shows, like, the, the, the toll that it's taken on him and how that has very much led him to be the person he is today. Um, which is mm-hmm. not a great person. <laughs> like, I didn't realize until I was looking on Wikipedia, but apparently he's also supposed to be a heroin addict. And so there's, um, yep. I didn't realize there's probably but some stuff they showed in his, in his room. I, I feel like that's, that's that. the vice. That's what I was referring to is the fact that the world seems to break him. And I almost like, I get it. I mean, I don't encourage people to use heroin, but I get it. Right. I, I think if I killed, really good. If I had killed 123 people, I probably would also do but heroin. Not, or not just killed 100 plus people. He killed 100 plus people and then went and tried to get a job where he could just run a hotel. And the job he gets has him recording people at their lowest moments and blackmailing them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I, 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 I'm sure he, tells, he got that job thinking it was a normal job. Probably. I mean, well. I don't know. I, I, I also think there might be something where they're like, oh, this guy knows how to handle himself. Let's put him at, in this position. But who knows? Regardless. Maybe. It just seemed like there was an innocence to him. Like, he's trying to escape yeah. all this. Right. And, and of course, the things that he's seen have also, like, very much traumatized him. Like, right. telling the story of the man with the wolf, which is like... Mm-hmm. Which is, to me, the most disturbing part of the whole movie is that little three-sentence story. It just because it's Traumatizes so... Traumatizes everybody, yeah. Well, I guess that's the thing. So he stopped killing people, but now he's destroying people who are still alive, right? It's still about... It's still violence, even if it's not physical violence that he's being right. asked to do. Right. And then, of course, like, the one film that he didn't hand over, he said, you know, something was wrong with the with the camera or something like that because and and they're like well why didn't you hand it over he said because he was kind to me mm-hmm. no one really is or something like that's that's something along his line and like yeah this is a person to whom no one is kind not even the priest who is right. really not a priest but like who but he as far as wants he to go to confession mm-hmm. and um he just wants to be a better man and no one around him lets him do that um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So heartbreaking character, but then also, of course, at the end, he does get absolution. Like, oh my gosh, yes. And it's it's beautiful that like, you know, Doc Doc O'Reilly, Father Flynn, like lies to him. He's like, he's <laughs> of course I'm a priest. Like, you know, he's he's about to die, and they know it. And so mm-hmm. Darlene is like. Do what you do what you can for him. Yeah, help, help him. him. Help yeah. him. Help him. And that is exactly how he can be helped: is to give him, give his soul some peace. So in this purgatory, and, yeah. And, um, but <laughs> I also really love that moment where he says it's too late, and I have, I'm probably not gonna. Yeah, it made me cry every time I watch it. It's hard for me to of talk. Oh, yeah. It's too yep. late, and him saying. As he's dying, it's not too late. You can be a good man in your last moments. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
beautiful. We have to let some dead air there because it's just such a beautiful moment like that. Everything like oh, just came together so well in that sequence. And I'm just there like watching it through like glassy eyes. I'm like, oh, just make it through. I just I loved, love, love that sequence. And, you know, he's the last one to go before they can finally be free, as it were. Yeah. Um, Darlene and Flynn. Um well, yeah, I mean, he very much sacrificed himself. Like, you know, I mean, he wasn't necessarily intending to die, but he, he very much, like, sacrificed himself for Father Flynn and Darlene. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, also, and he dies at the end. He's shot while he's extending an act of, a hand of, I mean, he's being kind to another person, which is what lets his guard down. Yes. Oh, the stabbing. The stabbing yes, yes. Stabbing. Um, yeah, because right. no, he... Because he knows that Rose is a victim, and he can see that, mm-hmm. and so he's not killing her. And then, of course, she does kill him. But I mean, that's again, she, yes, she is a victim, and she's also a victimizer, and that's part of the um, <laughs> part of the cycle of trauma and how things work. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a be- beautiful ending. Um, I saw actually in some of the, like, as I was reading up, I really wanted to know, like, why didn't this movie do well? Some of the critics don't like how the movie ended. Hmm. Uh, which, which part? Like, the fact that everyone didn't die, or, I, like... No, I think it was... Oh, I, I'm now trying to go back to this, but, like, it's... I don't want to make you a rabbit hole, but... <laughs> no, it's, I, I think it was more the fact that someone was saying that it did not, it didn't live up. The finale did not live up to the premise or to the promise of everything leading, leading up to that. See, I actually felt the same way the first time I saw it. And really? Yeah. I, I, and the main thing is, and this is the only thing you, 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 you fix this and I don't feel this way. I, I feel like John Hamm's arc story didn't, come into play as much as I expected it to. I felt like it was building up and then it just dropped. And the thing is, is the second time I still feel that, but I don't care because I know the emotional arcs are going to be so gratifying and compelling. Now that you mentioned that, I do remember the first time watching it, like throughout the movie, wondering like when the FBI was going to show up or... Or at least that thread was going to be picked up again. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was kind of waiting for... Like in the Matrix, when Tank gets hit and then you know um, ends up killing the bald dude, I was kind of waiting for that moment where there was going to be like during the second roulette spin, which we got—I mean, I got to gush about even just the roulette scene in general. But I was kind of waiting for when the second spin occurred before Flynn headbutted the guy. I just expected him to like walk in and just start blowing shit up. Like that was what I was expecting. Um, you were expecting who to walk in? The the FBI agent. I know he was dead. I understand. There's a lot that, of buckshot but, in him. But they but they've done that. A, I mean, they did it at That's Reservoir true. Dogs. You know, like I just you you know. Well, uh, it, I have not seen Reservoir Dogs, and now I can't ever watch it. Are you serious? Same. No, Same I actually have not. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I I think it's fine. Oh my gosh! Well, I was just gonna say, depending on who's directing the movie, like uh, either one bullet will kill a henchman in the arm. No, or you're one absolutely the head right. Will kill a main character. So you're right. I, uh, that yeah. is true. That is true. Um. Oh no! And please, I really don't care. The, yeah. As has come up multiple times of people hating on Quentin Tarantino in this podcast, it's on my to do list. You know, it's this movie. Just if it, if it does anything, it subverts expectations, much like our favorite Star Wars movie. You know, which one was that? <laughs> Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, the Ryan Johnson one. 
Yes, yes, <laughs> him. That's a good movie. People should just, see that movie. That just another brick movie. in the wall. You know what's a good movie as well? The one that came the, after that. that well, it was a- <laughs> <laughs> I just wow. make everyone mad by by liking both of those. Movies. No, no, no. To be fair, okay, you you prepped it up. I prepped it up. Sidebar: I don't like Rise of Skywalker, but I have never once been angry at somebody else for liking it, and I don't get why people who dislike the Last Jedi are angry at me for liking it. That that is fair. But I will try. Uh, challenge accepted. I will try to make you angry at me for liking Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next movie I talk about. Next uh, season Rise of Skywalker. No, okay, great. Hey, Let's do I already it. have a, on on the Iron Giant episode. I already had my gush about why I will forever be grateful for Rise of the Skywalker. So yep, and I think th- yeah. that's just it. I didn't like it. I think it's bad. I like lots of parts of it, but you know what? I like Star Wars, and I still like the prequels, even though they're bad movies. That's true, too. Especially the second one. Oh, my gosh. Oh, especially the second one. But anyways. Enough about about sand. Enough about sand. Sand. Yeah. Um, But, Lishka, you wanted to talk about the roulette scene. I mean, my goodness. There are so... I feel like I... Just because we don't watch very tense movies in this house for very specific reasons, um, when I do get a chance to watch something like that and just be taken, you know, it's, it's anytime there's like a countdown or a game of chance or something where like a life is on the line like that. And you genuinely don't know who's going to be killed because when ham was killed early on, that subverted that expectation. So it, it's almost like the whole, can I, can I please spoil season one of game of Thrones? Is that okay? At this like, point you can spoil okay, season you. one of game it's, of Thrones. When Ned Stark is beheaded and what? towards the end of game of Thrones, <laughs> You let me borrow the first book. Sean I know Bean you know. <laughs> what? That's unusual for him. One of the greatest YouTube videos is all the time Sean Bean gets killed in movies. Um, <laughs> you start, you get that feeling immediately that like, okay, no one is safe in this story moving forward. It's the same thing when the FBI agent dies, no one is safe moving forward. So when right. the wheel spins and you have that song going and it's like, you got, you feel the pain and pressure of Miles just trying to get confession um, you feel like you don't want Father Flynn to die. You don't want Darlene to die. You don't want Emily to die. Like you just—it's so insanely tense that when if I, like there's that release of when she does get shot, and the very last thing she does is look at her sister right before she's blown away. I mean, huh, just well, and uh, beyond yeah. that, like the the point that really gets me in that scene is what well, is it Emily that he's making choose, and she chooses red, right? Right, and then he spins, spins the machine, spins the ball, and he says, "Well, kid, guess that makes you black." And you're like, "Holy shit!" Like, yeah. it's not that he's offering each of them a fifty percent chance at living. It's like he's pitting this one against that one, and like, oh my gosh, yeah. like that. Yeah, and yeah. then when it when he spins it again because she starts singing, and we all agree she has a beautiful voice. And you know the cam- like I, I I'll, I'll gush about the editing in just a second, but just the way that the camera's like slowly moving in on her, and then he just slams his hand down, and boom, just starts the wheel, and you're like, oh gosh, he's starting the wheel, and he's like, I've heard better, and you're like, oh, here we go again, <laughs> like that feeling <laughs> yeah. just came up, and like Father and the Flynn way he is does like, it, I mean, <laughs> it's like, and 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 you know he's being spiteful because she didn't put up with his BS, but at the same time. It seems like the most evil thing a human being has said in a movie in a long time is I feel <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. Oh and you know he hasn't either. Like I think that's the better the most important part. Because there's no way. <laughs> but Rose it doesn't matter. No, I know. I'm just being I'm just being a No, I, I but uh. I, I get what you're saying. It's just yeah. Yeah. Chris oh. Hemsworth 
should play more villains because yeah. he does a good job. Man, when he's dancing to the music and the lights in the background and like there's that shot of him like perfectly in line with the lights. So it looks like there's like a halo behind him, like yeah. an old Renaissance painting. Like, oh, great cinematography, man. And the, like uh, there, there was one other shot that I absolutely adored, which was when Darlene takes um, this is a super long shot when Darlene takes the wig off and Emily's watching her through the glass. And it does this very long, like, 360-degree pan where you're not sure, like, what is quite going on other than she's just kind of singing. And when it ends on, like, father in the corner, like, hiding behind the bed so that they know the person in the glass can't see. Just, ah! Oh! Great cinematography in this film. Just, I don't know who that was off the top of my head, but amazing um, cinematography and editing. The match cuts in this movie um, are something that I, I try to emanate in my own crap because I think it's so good. Like when Darlene's looking at the glass after talking to that dickhead reporter, uh, recording studio guy, boom, it cuts her back to the hotel and it's the same with Rose. And, and oh, I loved the editing. I loved the cuts in this flick, especially my favorite um, cut, which was probably more comedic to me than it should have been, was when they're doing Father Flynn's flash, uh, flashback and they have that... Uh, sequence where uh, he's telling the guy like, no, nah, it's going to be okay. And then immediately cut to the courtroom or no, he says, um, I, I've got this under control. And it cuts directly to the sentencing yeah. with 15 years in jail. It's like, no, you don't like, it felt like, it felt like Archer esque, like that kind of, you know, yeah. just oh, so oh, good. Cool. So very, very good. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And the aesthetic too. The aesthetic is, I, I love, I'm, I'm Sure, you know this, Kyle. I love that Route 66, old 60s, cheesy, tacky aesthetic. And it, yeah, I, I bring this up because we want a road trip just to just to uh, satiate my desire for that. So thanks for letting me drag you to all these cheesy places. <laughs> right. Hey, at least we didn't die in the desert of New Mexico. I mean, we were. You close, know what? But... It'd have been a good way to go out. <laughs> <laughs> or get abducted the... by aliens outside of Roswell. Uh, oh man! Oh. Still probably the scariest I've been in in a tent. So. <laughs> uh, well, anything else, Murph uh, or Brendan? Anything you guys want to gush about that you haven't quite hit on? Because I've definitely hit on everything, and just, no. this was a great movie too. Thank you so much. It's a gem of a movie. People should watch it. If you didn't take our advice before we spoiled it, take it now. Absolutely. Yeah. Have the two of you seen it before I suggested it? I saw it in theaters, yeah. You saw I, really liked I did it. not. Yeah. No, I did not see it. Okay. Nice. And did you think, like, did you, would you rate this like a 9 out of 10? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, I thought I, you would, but it's yeah. I've, I've given my only criticism, and and that's that last thread I feel like was dropped. But I, I enjoyed it even more the second time, because once you know that, I didn't care as much. True. And, and the emotional punches punch so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, that's up. That's it. Excellent. Well, we'll have you uh, do our little numbers games as we often do. Please okay. pick a number between one and seven hundred and six. Ooh, big number. Um, sixty-eight. That's gonna Is be that a cast? cast. Let's see. No, it's not. Okay, no. that's right. That's right. There aren't that many. There aren't yeah, that many people. That many. That's true. There's like people twelve cast. people. Well, this is nice. Uh, you mentioned the decor. Well, this is set decoration by Hamish Purdy. Um, I believe I'm saying Hamish or Hamish. 
um, one of those two who did the set decoration for this flick, who has done many, many movies. Um, I'm seeing 28 credits in the art department, things like The Revenant, where you were the set decorator in there, and Watchmen, the movie Brendan loves, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, That's a movie 2000, I love. <laughs> isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I, I think love is a really strong word. Isn't it? You're right. You're, you like it. You like, I like you love it. Watchmen I in general. Yeah. Yes, I think, um, I mean, okay, okay. So, saying I like Watchmen does not mean I like both. No, nah, I'm not going down this rabbit no, hole. No, you're right. You're right. You're One right. of the greatest know, pieces of writing in the last hundred years and a totally competent, watchable movie. We need release the Schneider cut is what you're trying to say. They <laughs> did on that one. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. what else? Hamish, you also did Cabin in the Woods. Uh, you've done Monster Trucks and Power Rangers. We'll skip over that. Uh, <laughs> Antlers, that's the... Oh, that's the A24 movie that's coming out, isn't it? Um, is that not out? Is that not out? No, I don't believe it is. Yeah, yeah. No, October, that's right. Um, that trailer is pretty horrifying. So I'm kind of interested. Maybe we'll do that one for the Halloween. Um, I'm going to go special. see A24 tonight, and I'm going to go see Lamb as soon as it comes out, too. Yeah. Oh gosh, that trailer. Oh, well. So we'll we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Hamish, you your set decoration skills are excellent. Uh, we love the decor. We love everything you did with this movie. And this has got to be a hard movie to set decorate because you gotta have stuff that looks classic and vintage, but it's also got to look new and it and but but worn down. Uh, it's great. Good job. Yeah. You did a great job. Yeah. Yep. So thanks, Hamish. You uh, you were an invaluable part of this movie. We hope that your career continues to be excellent on the rise. It looks like you're working pretty hard on, in TV and film. So thank you again for working on this film. We appreciate you. Good, sir. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now I'm going to have you pick one through three. And, and two of the three of these movies are especially known for one of the, your favorite things. It's having a plot that's hard to follow. Something Go with number one. Good old number one. You pick the one movie that has... What? Yeah, okay. Something so nice. So, two of the three have plots that are hard to follow. Oh, one of them has pick, a plot pick, that pick, is... Uh, yeah, so let's pick one of the ones that doesn't have a plot that has a plot that's hard to follow. So you want me to go against your choice? You want? Yeah, let's go with number two. How about that? Number okay, two. well, to number be fair, one. let's just say what, what I originally picked up after you changed your answer was G.I. Joe, which is such an easy plot to follow. It was written by a fifth grader. So, <laughs> you changed it to... Uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, which is the exact I mean, two we have movies a that are uh, they are so perfectly paired as being on the opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum in every conceivable way. Oh, yeah. Say something nice about Tree of Life. Something. Do so it. Nice Do it now. Honestly, it is a beautiful film. It is gorgeous. Yeah. That is something nice I can say about it. It's I hated so it. Nice. <laughs> I won't watch it again, but it is gorgeous. And so I know somebody who did praise and worship during that movie. <laughs> I bought it three times because I kept waiting to get excited to watch it in the higher definition, and I've never worked up the energy or the stamina to watch it a second time. So I get it. I loved it, and yet I can't bring myself to watch it again. Fair. Oof. Did any of you see Terrence Malick's movie last year? What was the... Nope. <laughs> A Quiet Life? A Quiet Life. Ugh. I, I own it. Ugh. My wife, who loved... Trump A Hidden Life. life. A Hidden trying... Life. A Hidden Life. That's what it is. It's right. Yeah. Um, it's a quiet place, a hidden life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> also different movies. But no, my wife is going to convince me to watch it at some point. Has she seen it? 
she hasn't, but she's very interested in the character because she, you know, is very anti-war, and so... It's, it's uh... Yeah. It's devastating. It's a tough... It, I mean, okay, let me put it this way. It is as hard to watch as Tree of Life, but not because the story is just everywhere. <laughs> it's hard to watch because it makes you <laughs> stew in this difficult moral circumstance. It's yeah. beautiful. It's gorgeous. I adore it. But unlike Tree of Life, it actually does have a plot. Well, that so, makes me more likely to watch it. So that is but good. it's not an easy watch. And <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Terrence no Malick, sense. man. I keep thinking I should watch more of his movies, but then I remember they're really hard to watch. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> what else has he oh, done? Man. He's... Done a fair amount. He does. He's so. Oh, he did the thin, thin red, red line. Thin red line. I turned uh, that off. After days 10 of minutes. heaven. I saw days Damn. of heaven. <laughs> you got ten minutes into the thin red line. I did. The thing is, is he's he's so artsy that your average artsy film critic can't stand him sometimes. <laughs> so yeah. Oh man. Well, shoot. This is the part of the show where we, uh, you know, we wrap up with the final question of what are you enjoying right now. So Murph, like. From movies to TV to books to podcasts to board games, video games, any sort of media that you are consuming and enjoying. Um, I see you playing Terraforming Mars a ton, so I assume that that will come up in here. But uh, what are you what are you loving right now that you just want to tell the world about? Yeah, board game-wise, that's my main hobby. Terraforming Mars has become the latest obsession with me and a lot of people I've played games with. So trying to branch out from that, I actually have a story-driven game called near and far that i really want to play that i own haven't played yet um based off the success the, su- ah, the successful sesame street song near and far <laughs> no it's the sequel to above and below um oh. but uh coming up soon will be now and then that's not a joke uh, <laughs> so uh book wise i'm still slowly making my way through um the once and future king um, ah. which is tough to read. When you say still, did you mention that in the last podcast? I don't think I mentioned the last podcast, but it's I've been working it's on been it a while. for several months now. Um, maybe I mentioned the last podcast. I, I don't know. I'm not going to back, go back and listen to myself. Right <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, been reading that. Um, show, movie-wise, I actually went back to the theaters for the first time since COVID started to see... Yay! Yeah, to see Black Widow, um, nice. which was very good. You know, typical Marvel movie. Um, would have been better if it came out three, four years ago, but it would have. It would have. Um, but it was good. Excited that there's like four Mar- Marvel movies coming up within the next year. <laughs> <laughs> there's a ton. Yep. Um, not really speaking long. of which, sometime we should come on. We should do a ranked Marvel evening. That'd be yeah. a fun mini podcast. Let's do I'd it sometime. We we'll start working on it. Let's do it. Okay. Yes, I'd love to, to fight um, Thor with everybody. Uh, TV show wise, we watched the first three episodes, and I really want to watch more, but haven't gotten a chance to for a couple months now. The Expanse. Um, the Expanse. <laughs> I did not like that first novel. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. the show at least the first three episodes were fantastic. Um, we're also finishing up the Legend of Korra the, in the Avatar series. Have you ever watched it all the way through? Because I keep no, this is I never watched it all the way through, so this is us finally getting through it. And I'll tell you what it, it's so I'm I'm halfway through season three, 
And I've taken several running starts at this, and I can't... I like every aspect of it, and yet it just isn't clicking with me. I think season four is much even much worse than the first three seasons, actually. Oh, so that's right. I saw season one and season. two when they came out. We bought them, and so we kept trading these running starts, and my kids keep asking to finish it, and I just... I don't know. It just doesn't... I love the characters, I love the world, and yet I don't find it nearly as compelling. Yeah. And it, it might just suffer from the fact that the first show was so good. And that may be. That very well. It's oh, just yeah. not quite as good. So. Yeah. yeah. But that's it for me. Excellent. Brandon, what about you, sir? Um, well, we recorded another podcast three days ago, so I haven't had time to, <laughs> to lie. Watch, watch. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Keep me posted on what you think of the expanse because I, I, I'm just gonna because I haven't seen much since last. I want to, I want to. So I read the expanse and I read, uh, in the name of the wind back to back, and I was struck by the expanse having excellent plotting and terrible writing, and in the name of the wind having excellent writing and terrible plotting, and Damn. I, and I just <laughs> wa- was so burnt on a like if somebody could just do both of those things. Um, so I'm intrigued because I did think the plot of the expanse is great, but the writing, man, well, that, maybe then you might like the TV show more because that's the thing. Like it, the what doesn't it's just translate plot, from the yeah. book is prose, and, and yeah, and, and that's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to remember one of the lines that they thought they were being all. It was like. Gallimee, the the moon or something, turns slowly like a cheap whore showing all of her sides. And I remember thinking... Holy crap. You're talking about a moon! You cannot compare a moon to a cheap whore! That is not... Why would you... It's a celestial body! It's a rock in space! Calm calm yourself down and just tell me that they landed on the moon. Calm yourself, Iago. (laughs) Anyways. so, So I finished season one of BoJack Horseman. It's excellent. Um, uh, I'm going to see the Green Knight tonight, and I'm stupid excited about it. Oh, heard it's good. I'm so excited about it. I, I honestly, A24's horror stuff has has become some of my favorite movie going experiences. Um, looking forward to Lamb. Looks so disturbing. I can't wait. Um, I I've been playing the Halo Infinite beta. It's Halo, and I love Halo. So, uh, oh, and I replayed uh. Batman Arkham Asylum, which is a great game. And then, I guess on board games, I'm playing this one game, so I'm having trouble with it. I, I It's uh, it's called uh, Viticulture. I haven't read the instructions <laughs> for it, but I felt bad because I was keeping the two people I'm playing with from playing because it was taking so long for me to read the instructions, so now I'm just kind of guessing my way through it. We'll see how it turns out. Same. Hey, that's it's like it always says on Board Game Arena. It's my first time. Thank you for being patient, or whatever it says. Like It does. I will say, though, that I like read the announcement of its release, and it's like, oh, if you don't place workers during summer, you get to place them during winter. And so then I was like, oh, well, I've been doing that wrong. So now if you just yep. don't place all of your workers down, you get to place them on the other half of the board. If it isn't <laughs> obvious, the two people I'm playing Viticulture with are Nick and Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. So much fun. Maybe I'll read the instructions before the game's over. I've become such a jerk when it comes to board games where it's like, if I can't find a YouTube, like, Let's Play or tutorial, like, I'm just like, uh, forget it. <laughs> it's like so Robbie bad. Like Rodney Smith in Watchmen. I, I do a lot of YouTube play. tutorials. Those are nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's how about you, Nick? In the last three days, um, what have you um, been up to? 
In the last three days, once again, as we as tradition follows, I'm still working my way through every single episode of The Simpsons, and I am very close to finishing season 28 tonight. Maybe you got like three or four to go. Um, still fairly solid. I can feel like kind of the crappiness of the tweens seasons coming back with like it's every episode has to be about Lisa teaching us something. Um, so that's kind of creeping in, but I'm still enjoying it. The jokes are getting, I don't want to say better, but there it's, it's still solid. It's a thing to have on while playing Stardew Valley, I suppose. <laughs> um, sure. So I've been watching that. Um, there's all of these like Firefly novels, like offshoots from what happens at the end of the last episode in season one to Serenity. So I'm reading one called Big Damn Hero right now, uh, which is a callback to the trope, Big Damn Hero, that I used in Back to the Future. Um, so I've been reading that. And um, the last episode we did, Jay recommended The Nice House on the Lake. So I read the first issue of that. Which, yeah, he was right. He he did not give us any plot points because it would have ruined the whole story. But so far, I'm very okay. intrigued to see where it's it goes. It's still on my, my list. I was pla- I See, I have a hard time doing floppies now. I, I want the graphic novel. So I was thinking I'd wait till the whole thing's out. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, but other than that, I believe that is all for me. So right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and next time, I will tell you about the disturbing movies I've watched. Thanks for joining us, Nick. <laughs> me Kyle I'm here every thanks week thanks for joining us Nick over. Nick will you come back and join me and Kyle next time next season <laughs> wait am I fired <laughs> no sorry, I'm, I'm just way, wait and, and could you also remind me what was the name of the movie we're watching this week um uh those who wish me dead I was joking I forgot the name at the beginning I'm just my brain I'm no I know I'm being father oh, Flynnitis. okay all right, let's hey, go. Hey, Flynn was his name it. in Tron too, wasn't it? I want to start singing the song. Bum 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 bum. Later, everybody. Bye, Mark. Love you again. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs>